Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. It's almost like two ships in a night, you know, where it's like you're you're both trying with the desires there, but you kind of like miss each other. And so what ends up happening is resentment then starts to come about because I'm doing everything I can, you know, or what I think to make you happy, but it's not working. So you're kind of both resentful in a sense. You want to do what works for your partner. And to do that means, as you just said before, asking a lot of questions. Why do they feel that way? What do they think about that? You know, what about that was upsetting? Like if you and I were in a relationship and I did something to upset you, it's not just to apologize to kind of appease your partner and be done with it. It's wanting to figure out what happened, but also what could I have done instead? Hey, U-Turners, it's Ash here, and I have a guest for you in the love category, and we are talking about something that is pleasantly broad because I know that it applies to so many of you, and it's the traits of a healthy relationship. So whether you're dating somebody, whether you're single, I think that it's so important to really evaluate and check in with these, and that's why I wanted to bring Diana Mandel onto the show. She's a dating coach, a relationship expert. She puts tons of good content out there on this topic, and I'm so excited to ask her about five traits for a healthy relationship. My only wish is that we had a two-hour podcast on this. So Diana, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I. What got you interested in studying or just working in the world of love? So when I was 10, I actually saved a girl's life from suicide. And I realized, not necessarily then, but more in my teen years that that was not necessarily normal and that I had some sort of natural ability and I definitely wanted to help people and have my own business. And I was a bit of a shit magnet in my twenties and made a lot of mistakes. Um, and was helping you. other people. I've never heard Go somebody ahead. call themselves a shit magnet. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely was. And I think I was so busy helping everyone else that I kind of wasn't really being my own client. And I kind of came to this like very, very low rock bottom moment and decided to become my own client really more because I didn't know what else to do as opposed to thinking it was a good idea. And I absolutely changed my life and met an amazing man within just a few months. And it's just such a huge part of what we do. And, you know, as love, it's really love and work are two of like the biggest parts of our lives and people are really getting it wrong. And I think it's getting worse and it's getting better. So I think the need for it really exists where I kind of take a lot of my therapy background and, you know, kind of practical sense of dating and kind of combine that and help my clients. Mm, Beautiful. And I love 
how often people work on themselves and it turns into them finding the right partner soon. I have the same story. So I love that. I mean, not with the suicide, not with the shit storm in the twenties. Well, kind of with the shit storm, but, <laughs> <laughs> but as far as like stopping the habits or the patterns that were getting me attracted to people that weren't good for me and really focusing. So I love that there is information like this out there. And I know that sometimes information doesn't mean transformation, but I think that a conversation like this, you know, you never know who's listening. So you'd mentioned that the first trait when we were talking around a healthy relationship was communication. And I heard you starting to say that there was two types. I don't know if I'm mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me I'm so into this. Yeah. So communication just in general is not an easy thing for a lot of people. It's, it is a skill and not everyone is sort of quote unquote born with it. I think a lot of people are not good at communicating themselves just from a vulnerability aspect and expressing themselves. But then also on the other end is, you know, on the receiving end of listening. So it tends to be, because a lot of people will kind of wait for their turn to speak instead of actually really listen to someone else. So we're kind of bad generally on both ends. There's always work to be done. But then in terms of the two specific forms, most people stop with the first one, which is daily communication. So that's basically when you're talking about, you know, what came up in your day, you're speaking at work, your kids, if you have them, family, friends, kind of like basic daily updates. Mm -hmm. And people often think, you know, when I talk to couples, that that's kind of it. And while that's obviously really important, we all need to kind of check in and talk about our day and update each other and so forth. The second part is kind of eliminated and that's emotional communication. And that's where you're discussing your feelings, your thoughts, your wants, your needs, your offering and providing feedback to one another about how you're feeling. That's not happening. Mm. And not necessarily that you need to you know, daily, like cry together and hold each other and have these like deep, meaningful, crazy conversations. But you do want to understand, you know, generally speaking, you know, how someone is feeling. And obviously, as we know, based on just experiences and mood and circumstances, we kind of can't predict them. And they can be a bit different, you know, week to week, you know, month to month, that kind of thing. So it's really being able to kind of check in with each other and just seeing how you're doing. It's like taking each other's temperature in a sense. And, um, what are some ways to invite somebody into that kind of conversation? Because I know the day-to-day conversation can feel easy. It's like, what did you do today? How was the day? There's so many linguistic keys that people are typically in with their day of talking to their partner about today. But I'm guessing people who are listening are like, how do you start a conversation? Like not everybody's like me or maybe even like you, Diana, where I look at my partner and I'm like, where do you think we go after all this? (laughs) That's a normal (laughs) question for me. (laughs) Um, What are some suggestions you have? So a few things. So we're actually going to be talking the third step. We're going to be talking a bit more about what to actually practically do to sit down and have an actual conversation around it. So we'll get into that. But in terms of kind of you know, working towards that or at least getting better at it. It's even just, you know, taking your daily communication and putting more emphasis or feeling behind it, not just sort of listing things out almost like in bullet point form. It's like, I did this, I had this happen, this happened, you know, I talked to this person, you know, it's more about saying those things, but then also attaching something to it, Mm -hmm. you know, about maybe how it made you feel or what you think about it, or even asking your partner for feedback on something. You know, I talked to my best friend and updated her on this and you know that we were fighting and I said this to her. So a lot of times it's really more about like updating as opposed to kind of checking in and actually talking to each other about it. So like, and this is what I said, what do you think? Or 
this is what I said. This is how she made me feel. You know, Mm. it's not just sort of reporting. It's talking, you know, in a deeper sense about it and kind of being able to explore back and forth about that. You know, Mm. a lot of people were just sort of not good at expressing ourselves. And I think even, you know, it's as simple as doing like a free write journaling at night and just kind of letting out exactly how you feel. Sometimes I think we want to express ourselves, but we almost don't even know exactly what is happening. So when you kind of identify a bit more about how you're feeling and you're checking in with yourself, you're then able to share with your partner a lot better. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. And, um, I also was just thinking about how my partner, one question that I hear him ask all the time. I laugh every time he says it is, what do you think about that? You know, mm-hmm. and so true. And yeah, like he'll be like, you know, I had this kind of conversation at work. It was kind of stressful. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I think a lot of things, what do you think about all that? And it's like, it's so interesting. Um, what is possible when you know how to start a conversation, you know, and I had a mentor, Jay Abraham a long time ago, and he used to say to me, you want to have better relationships, ask better questions. And I think open-ended questions are so powerful. So that's great. Um, And then beyond communication, like you talk about understanding each other was another trait of a healthy relationship. And I feel like this is a really deep one because there's so much to me that goes into understanding somebody and feeling understood. Um, How do you kind of gauge if you understand each other? So I think first the desire is to be there to want you. And that may sound sort of, you know, counterintuitive, kind of like, wouldn't you want to? It's like, no, you know, not everyone really does because it is work. And I think oftentimes we think, well, you know, it's treat others the way we want to be treated, right? It's kind of how we learn, how we grow. Like that's what we were grown up, you know, to, to believe the golden rule. But it's really about doing what works for someone else because what you want doesn't necessarily mean what your partner wants or maybe it is but it's not in the same way so you know what i often see happen is it's almost like two ships in a night you know where it's like you're you're both trying with the desires there but you kind of like miss each other and so what ends up happening is resentment then starts to come about because i'm doing everything i can you know or what i think to make you happy, but it's not working. So you're kind of both resentful in a sense. Mm. So you want to do what works for your partner. And to do that means, as you just said before, asking a lot of questions. Why do they feel that way? What do they think about that? You know, what about that was upsetting? Like if you and I were in a relationship and I did something to upset you, it's not just to apologize to kind of appease your partner and be done with it. It's wanting to figure out what happened, but also what could I have done instead You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you're really trying to get into this person's mind and understand their triggers and their pet peeves and what's, you know, really, really important to them. And it can't be based on, you know, what your ex wanted or, you know, what you were brought up to believe or what you think about something that obviously matters, but you need to validate your partner and understand what they need to be happy. And then even a step further from that is to be able to then anticipate their needs, which is kind of even cooler because you end up then avoiding a lot of sort of unnecessary drama just from either assuming something or just, again, kind of completely missing the boat on each other, but sort of wanting to get there. Yeah, I I find that so many people tend to check out after they Mm -hmm. don't feel hurt. Or what are some things that you think people do that block and they don't even realize they're blocking the understanding of each other? 
I think a lot of it is going in with sort of your own experiences. You know, it's easy to kind of assume something. It's easy to fall back on old patterns even. Um, you know, if you date one person who likes certain things and then you date someone else who likes very different things, we're kind of, again, like assuming certain things or thinking, you know, if they're dating me, they love me, they're going to like, you know, what I want to do, or they'll like it in the way that I like it. And that's not necessarily true. So again, I think a lot of it is, is sort of assuming things or, you know, thinking that the intention is good, but it's not actually kind of forming in the way that we want to or towards the other person. Mm-hmm. Like you're taking two completely different people that were generally raised in, you know, different places, you know, often we're different genders. We want different things. We grew up with different things. We have different experiences. We have different fears. And you're kind of like taking these two people and like slapping them together and be like, okay, make it work. You know? Yeah. It's not the easiest thing in the world to kind of, you know, make that work. And so to be able to do that is kind of, you know, eliminating everything you sort of ever knew worked and taking sort of like this person in a silo, like, you know, in an individual type of place and just learning everything. Cause you really start over, you know, in any relationship that you're in, you really don't know this person at all initially. Mm-hmm. And so the dating phase is kind of like first of just like, you know, do I like this person? Can I potentially see long-term with them? And then being in a relationship is like, how do we make this work as best as we possibly can? Mm-hmm. And it does take time and effort and energy, you know, for people to say you know, like relationships shouldn't be work. It's like, it is, you know what I mean? It's, it's being proactive and, you know, putting in that time and putting that effort and, you know, doing sweet things for them on a random day. And I mean, you know, it, it is, you know, it shouldn't be like work, work, um, but it is effort and it is time and it has to, you know, be there in order for your relationship to grow. You know, it's kind of like a plant. Do you kind of stick it in the corner and, you know, see what happens to it? Or do you, you know, look at the soil and do you, you know, water it and do you put it in the sunlight and take it out when it feels like there's too much sun? You know, it's kind of really assessing what the needs are and then giving into it to have it flourish. Yeah. Well, and I also just can't help but think like everybody needs something different. And I'm so curious for everybody listening around timelines because I've had relationships that are five years and then in the whole time I felt like, okay, maybe this isn't it. And then now I'm in one and it's been seven months and I know it's right for me. Um, so what are, what is your feedback for people who kind of have that experience? Cause I think a lot of women, who, there's, there's many different camps. There's people who walk down the aisle and they didn't really know they were the right person until they did, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there's people who both knew right away. And then there's situations where one knew and the other one didn't. So what are your thoughts on like honeymoon phases and what it takes to really get to know somebody and that, ex- that whole phenomenon of when, you know, you know, so, I mean, even going back a second, something that you said, the one, right? Yeah. I mean, the soulmate. I just don't believe in that. Yeah. And I know a lot of dating coaches do, um, or people in the relationship space, you know, I mean, most do. And again, we use the word soulmate and the one a lot. I don't believe that there's one person out there for everyone. I think that's almost like such a almost like terrible way for us to think about things. It's like how of like the millions and millions and millions of people am I going to find that one person? If I'm supposed to find one person, like where, where are they? You know what I mean? Like how do you even find that? So to me, it's, you know, I'm not saying there are millions of people out there that I think are going to be there for you um, or be the right, you know, person for you. But I think, you know, my husband and I have an amazing relationship. I think if we didn't meet, like we'd both be with someone else, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And be very happy. It would just be a slightly different relationship because of, you know, just personality and experience and 
and all of that, but it doesn't make it a lesser relationship. It just makes it a different one. So Mm -hmm. I think the pressure that we put on ourselves to find this sort of like ideal, you know, person is kind of ridiculous. And then you wonder with that idea in your head, well, like, is this the right person? Do you know what I'm saying? Because Mm -hmm. it's sort of like, there's supposed to be one. How do I know that this is the one or not? Yeah. So I think, you know, that's something that we need to really like take away you know, from sort of our vocabulary and just our understanding of things because people end up just with that pressure mm-hmm. of making mistakes and sort of sabotaging and second guessing and trying to always find better. You know, there's a lot of sort of issues, especially now it's say more than ever, uh, just because people are so at our fingertips in a way that, you know, a while ago they just weren't. Well, there's also so this that- idea of like, um, you know, like, and I, I, I'm on the total same page as you. Like, I just think we live in an abundant planet. There's billions of humans. There's not right or wrong. There's just different with connections. But mm-hmm. I know that sometimes people like they date and date and they never find a connection that feels right, even if it's mm-hmm. not the one. And so like, what do you, what thoughts do you have about like somebody being able to decide if something's right for them? Um, like, and, and just this idea that some people date for 10 years and decide to get married. Other people know within six months, like, what is your feedback on that for everybody listening? Cause I know some couples that they're like, we met and got married in three months and we're celebrating our 30 year anniversary. And then other ones, it's like, it never was working. It took them years to make the decision. Like curious, just what you feel about timelines. Yeah, I think for everyone it's different, and I don't think that one is sort of right over another. You know, it's it's hard to really say that. You know, um, yeah, whether totally. it's months or you know ten years, let's say, like you said, I think it's more you know based upon you know the work that you've done ahead of time with just trying to figure out what it is that you want in a partner, and not just from a perspective of sort of adjectives. You know, and almost like a checklist in a sense. Especially women are very sort of good at doing that. You know, it's not just because generally speaking, you know, more or less, we all kind of want the same things, you know, a person who's, you know, funny and charismatic and ambitious and kind and thoughtful and humble and right. But it's like, what does that mean to you, though? Because like my sense of humor could be very different from yours and my ambitious can be very different from yours. So I think it's really about dialing in, you know, what you really want you know, in a partner, but like specifically what you want and what are the most important things versus things that, you know, you could, you could give a little bit more of a room for. So I think it depends on, you know, your age. I think it depends on how much you know yourself. Generally people in their thirties and forties end up getting married faster because they, you know, have kind of lived a bit. They've probably had their heart broken. They've probably been in long-term relationships versus someone who's in their twenties who will probably, you know, more so second guess themselves, possibly wear their heart in their sleeve a little bit more, so I think it depends on age. I think it's where you are in life. I think it's how much, you know, personal growth you've done on your own. I think it's how dialed in you feel with, you know, just understanding what specifically you do want in a partner. So I think there's yeah. kind of a lot of different um, variables, factors. Yeah. And just like where you are in life and, you know, what your other stresses are outside of just being in a relationship where some people, it's a bit simpler for others, you know, you're dealing with maybe, you know, uh, traveling a lot for work or you have a sick parent or, you know, it really just sort of depends on, well, and you know, right. Yeah. Well, what's also interesting about everything you're saying is I'm asking this question. I was just realizing under the top, the trait of understanding each other. And I think what it really comes down to is understanding yourself, like, right. Like Mm -hmm. this is just the ultimate way that personal development works. Like you can't understand someone if you don't take the time to get you, because as humans, we're all mirrors, we're all so alike. And so, 
I think this feedback you're giving around age, life experience, getting to know people, having dated, I think that feels so real to me. That feels like the truth where it's like if you've had a lot of experience, just like anything, you have more context to make a decision from. And so um, to me, I think when you're there's definitely people who've had that experience where they just meet the right person and they feel that. Um, but I love this idea that like it really comes down to your life experience and how much you've invested in this process to understand yourself, too, so you can understand someone else. Um, and, and if it's a good connection for you and another tip you gave, and for anybody writing notes, she said, communication was number one, two kinds daily. And then like meaning of life, what would be the, like you said, emotional, is that the category? Emotional communication. Second one's understanding each other. And then the third is checking in with each other. This one feels really key and so like something I don't think is really happening in this world. So talk to me about that. Yeah, it's not. Um, and interestingly, I actually did an entire podcast with a friend of mine who's in the dating space also just around this. So I'll keep it, you know, kind of as compact as I can, but this is like really huge. Um, so basically it's, you know, an exercise that I have couples do initially. I like couples doing it once a week. Um, cause you really don't know each other that well, you know, you're trying to get, understand each other. Um, once you kind of have it more established, you can end up doing it every two weeks to a month, depending on kind of where you're at. Um, but first both of you sit down, no distractions, cell phone off, no TV, you know, nothing going on. It's just you two. And one of you chooses to go first. It doesn't really matter who you can meet an alternate. And you have a pen and pen with you. Both of you do. And one of you goes first and first you express what's going well in your relationship. And you do this for two reasons. One is to kind of soften the constructive feedback, let's say that's coming next. And often we sort of think that our, you know, partner knows what we like based on either our reaction or just because we kind of think they should know us by now, but it doesn't always work that way. So if you want more of what you like, it's important to share with your partner what that is, you know, because mm-hmm. you can assume that your partner knows and we we're talking about assumptions before, but don't assume, you know, really give your partner direction and let them know why you like that so much. Again, it's, we're talking about, you know, not just, you know, why, you know, not just like this hurt me or this excited me or this made me feel blank, but also why it did for your partner to understand you better and to give kind of more context, right? So you, and then you're writing, the other person is writing what you're writing or what you're saying. I'm sorry. So you're writing everything down. And then at the end, before you get into the more constructive feedback, you're explaining, you know, so you said, you know, this, this, and this, and this, and you want me to do it this, this, and the way, is that right? You know, do I have that right? Mm-hmm. And you can then say, you know, yep, that's all correct. Or, you know, yeah, but with this one, I actually meant, you know, blank, blank, and blank. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So what you're saying is da, 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 da. Good. Do I have that right? Yes. Okay. So you move on and then you do the constructive feedback. So that's anything that's gone on within, you know, that time period. You don't want to take something for two years ago. That generally is not that helpful. <laughs> anything, right? I mean, unless it's something you really like haven't done before, you know, maybe, um, you know, to an extent, you know, you can bring up the past, but you really want to keep it around, you know, like a bracketed sort of time period, something that's kind of more recent, which is why, you know, you do this as often as, you know, you do. And, um, you know, give any kind of, you know, feedback in terms of like, you know, that hurt my feelings, or I didn't really appreciate when you did this, or I don't like when you do that, or, you know, so anything, you know, related to something that you want to see potentially change, not the person, right? We're not changing character traits. That's a bit harder. Women do a lot, but that's really a square peg, round hole type of situation. That's not good. It's more just like habits or things that they've said or, 
you know, things that they've done, you know, things, you know, that are, that are a bit smaller. Um, and, you know, doing the same process of, you know, so you said this, this, and this, you know, um, do I have that right? And then also looking at what you'd like instead, which is kind of what we were saying before, you know, with an apology, it's not just like, sorry, I hurt you. It's what could I have done differently in this situation to make you feel better or to feel more validated or whatever it may be. And so you repeat that. And then any kind of final, you know, conversation that needs to be had about, you know, the whole like check-in on the first person's part. And then the other person repeats the same exact process. And then the next time you guys meet, whether it's um, a week, two weeks, a month, like we were saying, you then review basically how both of you did. And this is all in a very loving way. This is not yelling. This is not screaming. This is not being accusatory or blaming. This is really about really being constructive and frankly, proactive with one another. Because mm-hmm. often when I work with couples, it's at like the 11th hour when they basically just want to rip each other's heads off. And the way that I kind of explain it is like going, you know, to a doctor where, you know, as a single person, you know, you really don't go, you're not that healthy. You don't, you know, work out, you know, you just kind of, you know, don't do a lot of work towards yourself Mm. and then run to the hospital. You're having a heart attack, save my life right now. You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, we're not, you know, taking those proactive steps. You're not doing what you should be doing. There's no maintenance in that. It's more like, you know, you push, you push, you push, and now it's so bad. You hate each other, and then it's like, save us, and it's like, holy moly. You yeah, know? totally. Like, it's really, well, like, and we're, like, sort of beyond the point. Yeah, I, I guess I also want to know, how often would you recommend doing this? And did you say that, and I totally lost you on that? Yeah, I did, but let me do this again. Yeah. So, um, at first, I think once a week is nice, Okay. Um, which may sound like it's a lot, and it sort of is, but that's the way you learn, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, from each other, like you're trying to navigate these waters. Then after a little bit of time, I would drop to once every two weeks, mm-hmm. and then from there, I would drop down probably once a month, but the once a month is forever, you know what I mean? It doesn't go farther than that. Um, I've been with my husband with dating and, you know, sort of the whole time of us knowing each other almost four years and we do it every month. So, and I intend to do that, you know, for the rest of my life. So start with a week, then drop to two weeks, then drop to a month, but it doesn't go beyond that a month forever. Got it. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. You said like, just to kind of summarize, cause I know so many note takers yeah. are on here. So like, you know, once a week, then once every other week, and then eventually you can get into once a month and that's permanent. But, um, you recommend first starting with what's going well yeah, and then, um, from there giving constructive feedback. Yes. Yeah, so it's like what's not going well uh-huh. for you. Um, and then so what's, going well, what's not going well. And then kind of like coming up with a plan of what to do next kind of thing. 
Yeah. So, okay. you know, now that like I understand all this information, you know, like what do I do with this week or two weeks or month, you know, time to kind of help with this. So like, let's say for example, one of the, you know, things that I didn't like was how messy you are. Like, that's a very abstract type of thing. Like, what does that mean? What specifically, you know, would you want me to do? It's like, well, let's divide out the chores. Okay, cool. How do we do that? You do the trash. I do the dishwasher. You know, you clean the floors, you know, I dust, whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of coming up with, you know, is it a one-sided thing where it's just something I need to work on? Is it something that we both need to work on? You know, kind of how do we get to this place depending on what the issues are and what needs to happen? Mm-hmm. Helpful. Okay, great. And then um, I was also just kind of thinking about your fourth tip that I really love for a healthy, you know, traits of a healthy relationship. And I love this one because I don't hear this often. So it's not trite and it's spontaneity. Like people talk about spontaneity, but I don't hear a lot of experts like telling me like, this is something to think about, but I absolutely love it because we are so human. We so want Mm -hmm. variety. And especially me, I'm a Gemini. So every minute of my life is separate (laughs) from the last minute, you know? Um, Tell us a little bit about what does spontaneity, what can it look like? Because I know some people resonate with the whole thought of spontaneity more than others. Sure. And I think, again, like a lot of this just in general is about doing things proactively. Do you know what I'm saying? As opposed to, you know, before it becomes an issue, which is why I kind of look at these things in like a, in like an abstract type of way, because you want to make sure again, that it's not one of these heart attack situations where you're sort of scrambling at the end to try to, you know, figure out what to do. So a lot of this is like preventative, you know, type of work. So I'll just start off by saying that. Mm -hmm. So in terms of being spontaneous, you know, one thing that I find with people just in general, even, you know, someone who's single, we kind of feel robotic with what we do, especially with our work schedules. And if you have kids, it's even more rigorous. It's very much like, you kind of live off of a to-do list. Like what's next? What's next? You know? Yeah. And we end up kind of doing the same things every day. And I feel like a lot of people are sort of half asleep and sometimes even more than that, where, you know, you kind of don't even realize, you know, it's like 10 AM and you've been up since seven and you're like, I don't even know what I did this morning. You know what I mean? Cause it's just so kind of ingrained in your head to like, you know, grab your banana and then, you know, get into the shower and, you know, did it, you know, it's, it's not good. And again, we're sort of not present and we're just kind of going through a day to kind of just go through the emotions. So this is kind of about like breaking things up. And a lot of people think that spontaneity has to happen at like five or 10 years or something when it's like, okay, it's kind of, you know, getting like, we've been together a while, like it's getting a little stale. It kind of really needs to come pretty quickly in all aspects of your life from, you know, your romantic life to, you know, the things you talk about to the things you do together to, you know, your sexual relationship, everything kind of needs to be different where it's not the same thing over and over time after time. Mm. So can I give some examples? Yeah. And I I even was just feeling my body like respond to you talking about sex because I know that that's an area where there's like so many stereotypes, but also like people want variety and it's one of the quickest areas since it's something that happens for some so frequently that it shows that there's not novelty or there's not spontaneity. And I laughed to myself because I read somewhere that there's only six real positions in sex and everything else is a variation of it. So it's like, how much variety can you have? But I know there's a lot to it. So I would love some feedback on like, what are some like low hanging fruit for people to create that spontaneity? Yeah. And it's like interesting when you say that, you know, about sexuality, it's like the worst thing in the world when 
you know, especially when you're, you know, hooking up with your partner and you kind of like know what's going to happen next. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's nothing sort of fun about that. I feel like it's very kind of like high school and college when you kind of like go through the bases, right? It's like, you know, what's going to happen next, you know, even, you know, just sexually, um, and I'll give, you know, tips on other things too, but even if you're just sort of changing it up, like, you know, changing up the order of things, you know what I mean? Where sometimes, you know, it's a bit more spontaneous where you just kind of like go at it and like it's hot and it's, you know, intense. And the other times you kind of take your time and the foreplay really is involved in it, you know? So even something like that and changing up the location, you know, changing up, you know, maybe adding toys in or adding in um, some food, you know, is fun. So it's really about just kind of changing this up and trying things. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be a hit, but at least you're trying things together to really know what you like because you kind of don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. So you as a couple, you know, oftentimes we're doing things for the first time, it's really figuring out what works for you guys together because that could be different than what worked for you in the past with someone else or even just you by yourself. So it's kind of about changing things up. But in terms of doing other things kind of outside of the bedroom, you know, going on a weekend trip is really fun. Or if you don't have the money to do that, just go, you know, on a day trip somewhere and then come back at the end of the night. But it's doing something that's not like your usual routine, surprising each other, you know, with little things. It doesn't need to be anything, you know, intense, especially in days where you don't expect it. It's one thing when it's Valentine's Day or your anniversary or your birthday, when you kind of know probably something's coming. It's on like, you know, some random Tuesday when you come home, you know, with your with your partner's like favorite, you know, cupcake or, you know, just like a little memento, something cute that, you know, made you think of them. Um, it's, you know, changing up the routine. Like I said, you know, maybe it's having, you know, a date night once a week where you choose one week, they choose another week in terms of what you guys do or where you go. Um, you kind of, again, like really want to change things up. I know it's easier to do that on the weekends, obviously, than during the week. Um, but even on the week, you know, choose something different to do at night, whether it's like playing games or, you know, doing something outside or going for a walk or, you know, not just kind of doing the Netflix, you know, and chill type of thing that we're all kind of used to doing. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's kind of doing things more in nature and, you know, going outside of your comfort zone, even doing something like a class together, whether it's like a dance class or a cooking class or, you know, improv or something kind of fun where you're learning something new, either together, you can even do things separately one night and kind of talk about, you know, what you guys did separately. So it's really about just kind of breaking up the monotony and doing things that are fun and a bit different and not what you're used to doing all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I also just, um, I think about like other couples are such a good inspiration for this. Like if you're kind of drawing a blank, like maybe before you come to your partner with this conversation saying, you know, asking couples, you know, saying, Hey, what do you guys do to like create some spontaneity? Like sometimes it's a random trip. Like I was just telling my partner the other day, like, Hey, I really want to actually go to New York, which I know that's where you are, Diana. And I was like, I haven't been to New York in a minute. Like maybe we need to go to New York next weekend. And I know that sometimes that's more of an expense for some people than others, but there's also like a ton of free stuff. And even like, um, websites like meetup.com that have people getting together. Like there's just so much out there. It's really kind of a trip when you think about like how much we actually can do and we just get so comfortable. So this is great. And I mean, even sometimes for people who don't like love spontaneity, I think like if you usually eat dinner inside, maybe just eating it outside, like that's just a basic pattern interest you know? Um, Absolutely. so that's great. And then as far as your fifth, um, 
tip that you talked about for traits of a healthy relationship, you said improving upon yourselves. And this is huge. And I know, Mm -hmm. I know how powerful it is. So what does that look like? Because anybody listening to this podcast, they're clearly working on self-improvement. And I think one of the biggest pain points I have seen in a lot of my friends' partnerships is they might pick somebody that doesn't have this same interest and it can be such a pain point in the connection. I completely agree. And oftentimes, you know, with my clients that are single, I see the same thing. And it's like, we need to find someone who, you know, believes in this. And even if it's someone who kind of hasn't done an amazing job at that, but really wants to work on that, like, I'll take that too. You know, it's really someone who kind of makes fun of you or thinks it's, you know, kind of willy nilly and, you know, kind of stupid to do. That's where the problem occurs because it's a lifestyle change. It's, it's very different from what, you know, some other people in terms of like outlook and so forth. So yeah, you definitely want to choose someone who's either already into self-improvement or is definitely willing to explore it. And because it's also supportive on your end too. It's not even just that they're not willing to do it. They kind of think that it's foolish. And so it doesn't feel good on your end when you're like kicking butt and really doing well in it and they're kind of not getting it. They're not seeing it. It's not a good feeling. So you definitely want to be with someone who wants to improve upon themselves. And then in terms of kind of how to do that. I think oftentimes when we're in long-term relationships, we kind of get lazy, you know, like people will stop working out, they'll stop improving upon themselves. They'll stop, you know, kind of doing things independent of their partner. You know, we kind of almost like mold into like one person in a sense and, you know, kind of think that we don't need to do certain things anymore because we kind of quote unquote, like have this person, but I don't want you to ever think as though you have them and not where you feel very unsafe and sort of unsure about things either. You want to feel secure in your relationship but know that you being the best version of yourself to bring that into a relationship with someone is the best thing to do. And it's interesting because like I said, initially that I was kind of a shit magnet, you know, in my twenties. So being in really bad relationships versus being in good relationships, what I learned in that and a real shift in that, which I hope helps people is that when you're in a bad relationship or let's call it an unhealthy relationship for, for lack of a better term it almost doesn't matter what kind of version of yourself you bring because you're going to be fighting. There's going to be drama. It's just not going to work as well as it should. So it sort of doesn't really matter when you're in a healthy relationship with someone. I almost like, I, I obviously thought it would be a lot easier. And in some ways it's certainly, it's a lot more enjoyable. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> and like sustainable and so forth, but it's actually a lot harder in some ways because you are so much more responsible for yourself. Like I realize if I come home from, you know, work or a meeting or something and I'm just like stressed out or something didn't go exactly how I wanted or whatever it may be. Like I'm bringing that to my partner, kind of like the Tasmanian devil, you know, kind of like, you know, spitting through our house and kind of, you know, screwing up like the vibe. And even though I'm allowed to obviously be human and not have a good, you know, day or night or meeting or moment, you kind of want to either lean on your partner to be able to kind of talk through it with each other and be able to move on. Or you kind of, you kind of pick and choose what to sort of bring, you know what I mean? You don't want to have it be heavy every day because there's basically stuff every day to be, you know, upset about, but there's also a million things to be happy about. So I think it really depends on your outlook and, you know, kind of picking and choosing what to make a thing. And frankly, that's within your relationship as well. People are always going to do things to kind of upset you, annoy you, that kind of thing, generally, hopefully unintentionally. So you do want to bring these things up, but it's like, there's times where you just kind of want to let things go. You can't, sort of battle everything, you know, you want to advocate for yourself, but not where it just kind of seems all the time, you know, because maybe you're not with the right person if you feel like that's what it is. 
So it's really, again, like bringing the best version of yourself to your relationship to, you know, thrive and to grow. And you want really the same of your partner as well. So when you're doing work on your own, which is why I think everyone should have some sort of coach in their life, whether it's mindset, dating, whatever it may be, to kind of be the best version of yourself and to have someone else kind of sift through your feelings more so than you kind of relying on your partner to do that. That's not your partner's job. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's not part of the description. Are they there to, you know, help you and support you and love you and be your cheerleader? Absolutely. But not the person to kind of throw like your stuff on, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I've definitely done that before because I didn't really know how to focus on myself and work on myself. And I, you know, wasn't going to outside sources to do that. So I was kind of dumping everything on, you know, the person I was, you know, at the time dating, and that was really not fair. So a lot of this is just taking time to do, you know, self-care and to improve upon yourself and to, you know, be more self-aware and to look at, you know, why you do some of the things that you do. And, you know, if you're feeling something or something's coming up for you, that you're being proactive in it and doing something about it, you know, there's action attached to a lot of the things that we're feeling. Um, and kind of being the best version of yourself on your own to kind of bring the best version of yourself into a relationship with someone. I love this. Okay. And for anybody who's listening that maybe one way they improve themselves is listening to this podcast. Um, and they're looking for Mm -hmm. maybe one other practice that would really move the needle for them in their lives. What would be one, um, yeah, like practice or thought that you would have for them to consider as another way to work on themselves? So you, there's a bunch of things There are things you can do on your own. Obviously, if you find that you are struggling on your own, I would definitely reach out to someone professionally, but you can, God, there's so many things. Practice self-care is definitely a huge one. I think a lot of too is making sure that you have your independence. So like keep your friendships, you make sure you're seeing your family, doing things that you love to do outside of your relationship And also making sure that your version of self-love is there. And it's a little bit different than, you know, self-care. Self-care is important. But where you're kind of like loving on yourself and and knowing that you're not with this person to make you feel good about yourself. You know what I mean? That you've healed, that you've done the work on your own. And, you know, that you can do mirror work where you stand in front of the mirror. This is actually a really powerful exercise is to stand in front of the mirror sort of look at yourself and visualize yourself as the, uh, little person that you are call you like six or seven. So, you know, what did your hair look like? What kind of outfit did you wear? Like really visualize yourself and give yourself the things that you didn't have when you were young, Mm -hmm. you know, let this little girl or boy know that you have their back and, let them know like, what did they need at that point? Cause generally by six or seven, we kind of have most of our attachment styles and, you know, you're pretty set in stone besides obviously experiences that happen later. But in terms of, you know, like mentors and parents and, and things of that nature, you know, a lot of that is actually, you know, made up by that point. So it's looking at, you know, what needs to be healed and, you know, what do you not feel enough about, right? We all have like, I'm not blank enough, whatever is thin enough, valuable enough, important enough, smart enough. So it's looking at that and giving yourself as the adult that you are the things that you know that this child needed to hear and to know. So it's a really important thing to 
kind of like feed your soul, you know what I'm saying? So that you're allowing your partner to sort of enhance all that love that you already have, not give you that because you basically are too afraid or unsure of how to do the work on your own. Cause mm-hmm. it's definitely something, Powerful. you know, that I did, you yeah. know, in my twenties was kind of rely on someone else. And I see that a lot. And oftentimes we don't even realize we're doing it because we do feel confident in certain areas. So we think, Oh, like, you know, I'm confident in this and this. So, you know, I'm not doing that, you know, to my partner. But often we are. So you're kind of looking towards your history to look at repeated patterns, too, of other relationships you've been in, how you've handled things with other people, you know, whether it's romantic or not, Mm. and then being able to kind of, you know, solve some of those things and heal some of those things. This is so good. Well, I mean, I'm sure everybody's listening to this. They're writing about the two types of communication, understanding each other. They're going to hopefully implement a a check-in at least once a month, if not more, and spontaneity and improving on themselves and Dana, this has been so great. Where can everybody find you, work with you, learn from you? So dianamandel.com is my website where you can learn more about me. There's blog posts on there. Um, you can see how to work with me. And then Dana Mandel is also my Instagram handle if you want to follow me on there. Woohoo! Thank you again for all of your time. This has been so great. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, it's Ash here just reflecting on the episode with Diane Mandel and I loved her original take on communication and how there's many different types and layers of communication in relationships. For example, how she distinguished the difference between daily communication and emotional communication, talking about how sometimes we get lost in the day-to-day of our lives and we forget to go deeper and ask our partners how their day makes them feel or how different situations make them feel. And I think it's so important to connect on that level and also her feedback on checking in and creating that structure to check in with each other on an ongoing basis. It's just so beautiful. I think that, you know, just kind of stepping out of this episode and looking I know there's a percent of you who um, aren't in a healthy relationship and whether you know you're not or, you know, you're kind of in that process of discovering, I just wanted to share a few things. Um, You know, I've talked a little bit about narcissists and not everybody is a narcissist. Some people that, you know, that are toxic. Some people are just narcissistic, um, but they don't have the personality disorder. And so I wanted to just shine a little bit of light on um, some different factors that can cause someone to actually carry toxicity into a relationship. So first could be their environment. Um, That means mismatches in parent-child relationships or um, excessive criticism that hurts the child's experience, lots of trauma. Um, There's also genetics. There's inherited uh, characteristics. And if there's anything that I've learned about the brain, it's that um, there's a doctor out there who's doing brain scans and his work is incredible. And I heard about him on the Broken Brain podcast. And he talks about how everybody's brain looks different. And he can see based on your brain, the quality of your thoughts and the quality of your life. So it's not just like we choose our thoughts. It sometimes has to do with our genetics, our biology, and our actual brain chemistry that we're working with and working against in some cases. Um, and you know, this kind of also goes beyond genetics and into neurobiology, the connection between the brain and the behavior and your thinking. Um, but if you, you know, I want to just point out that there's a level of healthy narcissism that isn't toxic. You know, for example, I have a personal brand. There's a level of healthy fucking narcissism that had to go into me creating my own brand as a business owner. 
So where does it get unhealthy? Where does suddenly a relationship become toxic? Um, I wanted to point out some different things, and it doesn't mean that if you have one of them that you're toxic or your partner's toxic, but it does mean that you should take a look at it. So the people who tend to either have narcissistic personality disorder or be toxic, um, they have usually around nine traits. The first one is an exaggerated sense of self-importance, an exaggerated focus on themselves. If you come to them about you, it always ends up being about themselves. Um, Sometimes this is just basic wounding. Somebody has anxiety and you come to them about something and then all of a sudden they're in all this anxiety. So you want to pay attention to this and how they talk. Usually it comes from a tone of ego. Um, Not to say that, you know, if you end up going to somebody who's your partner and they end up making it about them, that that's not something you should be having a conversation about. It doesn't always mean that they're toxic though, um, but it is something to pay attention to. Another one is having a sense of entitlement or requiring constant excessive admiration. Also expecting to be recognized as superior, even without achievements that warrant it. Um, Not that any achievement can make you superior. Um, Somebody who exaggerates their achievements and their talents. Someone who's preoccupied, and this is a big one, with fantasies. Fantasies of success, fantasies of power, fantasies of their brilliance, their beauties. Or this is a big one, the perfect mate. I think a lot of narcissists um, think that there's this perfect person out there and they put their partner up against that fantasy vision. And it's this constant thing that their partner has to strive for. Of, And they'll talk about their partner like, my partner or my wife would never do this to me sort of thing. Um Another is believing they're superior and that they should only associate with special, equally special people. Um, monopolizing conversations, belittling, looking down on people they perceive as inferior, expecting special favors, um, expecting unquestioning compliance, taking advantage of others um, to get what they want, having an inability or unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of others, being envious of others and believing others envy them, believe, behaving in arrogant or haughty manners, That means they come across maybe as conceited um, or they insist on having the best um, of everything. For example, the best car, the best office. Another thing that is an indicator is people who have narcissistic personality disorder struggle to handle anything they perceive as criticism. So they're very unable to take constructive feedback. So they can become impatient or angry when they don't get special treatment. They have significant interpersonal problems. They easily feel slighted by somebody else. They react with rage or contempt and try to belittle the other person or make themselves appear superior. They have difficulty regulating their emotions, their behavior. They experience major problems dealing with stress and adapting to change. They feel depressed or moody because they fall short of perfection. They have secret feelings of insecurity, shame, vulnerability, humiliation, all of these different things. Here's the deal. If you're with somebody who has narcissistic traits um, or you start to think that your relationship might be toxic, I hope you get help. Talk to a therapist. I know we had Nicole Nalpavar um, on an episode, you know, just about codependency. I think that's something that a lot of narcissists, um, people who are about themselves and have the disorder are attracted to people who um, are empaths um, because that's the perfect codependent match. Um, And if you don't know about codependency and codependent behavior patterns, I hope you tune into my episode with Nicole Napavar because I thought she really beautifully painted a picture of how it looks, how it works you know, what codependency is. Um, but you know, I feel like Diane just painted such a beautiful picture of a great relationship. And I know that there is a large percentage of you out there who are not in a great relationship. And that's why I wanted to bring light to this topic, because I think it's so important that we 
you know, in order to achieve the life that we really want, we start to look at certain things that we don't want, you know, and um, I think that this is all just part of it. And there's so many statistics, you know, about toxic relationships and, and they, they continue to shock me. Um, for example, in psychology today, I was reading a little bit about mental disorders and, um, you know, I think it's so important that we just kind of pause and I'm pausing and really look at the numbers. So for example, um, on average, 24 people per minute are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner. So that's 24 people every single minute you're sitting there. That's more than 12 million women and men over the course of a year in the United States, three in 10 women, 29%, and one in 10 men, 10%, have experienced rape, physical violence, or stalking. Um, 15% of women have been injured as a result of IPV that included, you know, so IPV meaning just violence, including rape, physical violence, stalking. You know, it just these numbers go on, and it is so important for us to raise awareness. I've also read that nearly one in five women. And one in 71 men, of course, way less men, have been raped in their lifetime. Think about that. If you walk past five women today, nearly one of them has likely been raped in her life. Um, and one out of 10 women have been raped by their intimate partner in their lifetime. Um, usually that looks like they weren't ready, there wasn't consent. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people, I had a really profound experience in my master's in spiritual psychology where. Um, a woman was talking to me about how in our class she had realized that her first sexual experience when she lost her virginity was rape because they didn't talk about it and it just kind of happened and she wasn't ready for it. So, you know, these are things, they cause, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I don't mean to be a bummer, but I do just want to bring awareness. There's just so much here. Um, and, you know, even think about children, you know, one out of four usually witness violence among intimate partners in their household. So we live in a world where it is so important as women that we take a fucking stand for toxic relationships. We really get honest with ourselves about what is going on in our relationships. Is it healthy? Does it support our well-being? And if it doesn't, we are willing to be courageous and step out. So get help if you're in a toxic relationship. Ask around for a therapist. You know, like I said, my friend Nicole Napovar, she does that. There's so much support out there um, and I'm just sending you a lot of love and um, hope that you send this episode to somebody who needs it. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. 
On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.